If you would, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 to 29. You're good. This is the word of God. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filled up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning, everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ for this I toil struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me let's pray Lord I pray today that you're in these words that are spoken and your glory be seen I pray that this church sees the labors that Paul put into this letter and the love for your church is seen it's in Christ's name I pray amen Go ahead and take a seat. Now, before I begin, I will probably make the mistake of, instead of saying mysteries, saying ministries, forgive me, just change them out. I'm real <laughs> dyslexic, okay? I almost just now said it, so that's why I had to put that precursor out there. Having dyslexia when you're reading and preaching is not, not the best. All right, so let me set the scene here. Paul's sitting in prison. We know he's never been to Colossae, and he's desperately trying to continue the work that Jesus had set him to do, to grow the church and present mature and faithful Christians to Jesus. So this is meant to continue. This means that we need to continue in mentorship to the young church. Or let me read that again. So this means to continue in mentorship to the young churches, to ensure they stay the course and continue to mature in the faith. This is where the church at Colossae comes in. Here we have a young church full of new Christians that don't have all their theology worked out. They don't have a full understanding of all the things in the Bible. Just like every member of this church does, right? We're all mature, right? There we go. They didn't spend their youth growing up learning all the intricacies of the Torah and the Tumult the way Paul did. This is why we read read from Paul in verse 9 through 10, as uh, I think it was uh, Anthony that brought us that. Actually, it might even have been me. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. What this church had was a genuine love for God. They had the gospel and hope for heaven. This alone is good and great. But as young Christians in Colossae, they needed to mature in the faith so that they would continue in the faith, producing fruit and being able to weather the storms of the world around them. This maturing in the faith is a means by which the Holy Spirit keeps us, that we may be grounded solidly in the truth so that we have a better understanding and are able to see more of uh, the glory of God. Knowing that it is Christ alone who saves, and in him alone do we have the hope of eternity. 
As a young church, Colossae, or Col- the Colossians, are at risk of falling back into their old ways. They were a church of converted Gentiles that came out of paganism and were still surrounded by it. The people of that area idolized deities and men, and I'm going to mess these up, like Sabizius, Isis, and Serapis, Helios, and Selene, Demeter, and Artemidas. Those are tough names. They were also at risk of thinking there had to be more to triumph over their sins, since becoming a Christian didn't make them perfectly, uh, perfect instantly, a Jesus-plus approach. These Christians and all Christians need encouragement and teaching. These are the reasons that Paul wrote to the Colossians and was in constant prayer for their growth, that they may be ready for the world with wisdom of the truth of God. Paul also writes out a joy for the growth of Christ's, uh, Christ's bride, even when it brings hardship. All right, so today we have three points and a sub-point. The first point, point number one, rejoice in hardship. Point number one, rejoice in hardship. Look down at verse 24. That Paul was rejoicing in his suffering for the sake of bringing these people out of Christ. A great preacher, who's going to go unnamed, once said, Christians are weird. There's just no other way to say it. We think and act in ways that are different than the ways that the world often thinks and acts. When we obey the commands of God, we demonstrate that there is something more valuable to us than the supposed benefits of not obeying him. When we value his glory above the pleasures of sin, we show the universe that God's glory is our highest pleasure. And when we have joy and hope, even in the middle of painful circumstances, we show the world around us that God and God's promise of the life to come is worth more to us than comfort and security in this life. I don't name this preacher because I don't want his ego to blow up, but it was a pretty good quote. So you see, Paul wasn't just suffering without purpose. He was suffering for the Lord and for his kingdom. This is something to rejoice in, that God's glory is being seen in your hardship, that people are being saved, that God is using you. This is not boasting or bragging, but a true joy that Paul may suffer so that the church can grow. What is causing this persecution of Paul, and why, what is causing this persecution of Paul, and why does he say he is being filled up with what is lacking in Christ's affliction? We know that Christ's sacrifice was enough. Paul isn't saying that now he has to make more to ensure salvation is found. What he's saying is, with the physical absence of Christ, the world has turned their hate on him as a follower of Christ. While Jesus' death was sufficient for the wrath of God, the people that hated him didn't get all the flesh that they wanted from him in their complete evil and wicked state. So as Paul is now standing with authority for Christian, Christ, that hate is dumped on him. But the gift of the suffering isn't salvation, for Christians already have this gift. The gift was seeing the growth of the bride to the glory of God, the church that Paul was given stewardship over. And we see in the end of verse 25 that the charge was to make the word of God fully known. Well, I think we as Christians can make a universal point from this. We as saints have authority to spread the word and mentor young Christians. And in that work, we may 
or more, more likely soon will find ourselves suffering for it. John fifteen eighteen through 21 says, If the word hate, world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember that the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Why should we rejoice? Romans 5, 3-5 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We rejoice in the hope of Jesus. But we don't have rejoice because we get these things that Romans says. We rejoice because that we're commanded to. We rejo- to rejoice always in the Lord. Philippians 4, 4-7 through 7 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything be prayer, be in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Jesus Christ. This rejoicing comes from the peace that God gives us. So that's why point number one is rejoice in the suffering that the word is spread and the kingdom is seen through it. Now we see in verses 24 through 25 that God gave stewardship to Paul over this ministry to make the word of God fully known. But what is it that needs to be fully known in this context? Look down at verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. Point number two. We have the mystery. We have the mystery. Now I'm going to pause here for a second and remind you that this isn't some super secret that gets unlocked once you achieve level 34 of some sort of super secret society. We must see here that the mystery is not something that requires you to be holier than others to fully understand it. The answer to the mystery was present in the Old Testament but not fully realized into the fulfillment of Jesus' Jesus' ministry. Simply put, the mystery is, the gospel is for all people. The mystery is also the spirit in you, all saints with us for the hope and glory of God. The word here for mystery tells us that that now God has revealed the rest of the story, tying together the story and how it comes together. The mystery is that a savior would come not as a king, a rich king, or a conqueror, but as, as God in the flesh to save all people that would come to him. That means saving people of all nations. There is no separation between us once Gentiles and those faithful Jews. And the other part of this mystery is how he did it, how Jesus keeps us. And now this mystery is there for all to see, the revealing of God's plan to save a people for himself. Every Christian could now look back through the old scriptures and see God's promise to bring non-Jews into his bride, 
So a little analogy here to help you, and I really suck at analogies, but I'm sitting here pondering this. My wife gave me a good one. So have you ever gotten to church camp in the dark? Because uh, it seems every time I go camping, even church camp, we show up in the dark and we're stumbling around trying to set up our tents. You can kind of see the trees, the silhouettes, tripping over some rocks that you kind of see with the reflection of the moon. You get it all set up, you go to bed. You wake up the next morning, and now you can see it clearly. You were there the whole time. You were in the right place. You know this because when you woke up, everyone that's supposed to be at church camp is there. You can see them. You can see where the trees, the tents, you know you're in the right location. This is the mystery revealed. It was there all along. But now we understand it. Now we can see it. And if you haven't experienced that, well, you need to go to church camp. I'm just going to plug that one right there. <laughs> All right, so let's, uh, let's, let's see examples here. Let's look back through the Old Testament. Starting in Genesis, we see a promise made to Abraham in Genesis 17, 4 through 6. Behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall, or no longer will your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations. And kings shall come from you. Notice all the plural here, the multitudes. We know God made his descendants into a nation, or made Abraham's descendants into a nation. But why the reference to the multitude of nations here? This is the promise that the world would be a part of this. Abraham only had one son that would carry the seed of Jesus. But God promised Abraham he would be fruitful. This was a promise of inheritance. A promise that through him, a, uh, through him Christ would come. And this Christ would bring a gift to a multitude of nations. We see, uh, looking at Psalms, one, Psalm 117, 1 through 2. Praise the Lord, all nations. Exalt him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Here we have a call for all nations to worship the Lord. This is because one day people from all nations would become one nation under Abraham as Christ's bride to joyfully worship the Lord, and the Lord is faithful to us. Then we get to the New Testament and we see how this becomes possible. This realization of the promise through Christ. Galatians 3.13-14 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who, hang, uh, everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Jesus Christ the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise scripture or the pro, uh, receive the promised spirit through faith Ephesians 3:4 through 6 when you read this you can perceive my insight into the mysteries of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. I think that one says it pretty clear. 
So now we Christians can see that all the elect consist of many nations. The world can hear the gospel, and it's not just for Israel. So let's continue on to the next verse in Colossians. Verse 27 says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what are the riches of this mystery? Well, the riches are are Christ in you for the hope of glory. The riches are how a merciful God would have a plan before time to pay the ultimate price for his people that they may live in eternity and in the presence of God so that we can enjoy and glorify him forever. We get Christ in us and us in Christ. The Old Testament Jews didn't see that coming. They didn't suspect that the Messiah's kingdom would consist of many people that definitely, they definitely didn't see that the Holy Spirit would indwell in us, sealing us to God sanctifying us, putting Christ's righteousness on us, or making a people holy to God. A people of all nations, but now one nation. This is the hope and glory of Jesus. The law could never and will never be satisfied by us fallen mortals. If you're here today and you don't have Christ in you, then you will be judged by the law when the time comes. The outcome of the judgment is not going to be good. We have all offered an eternal perspective. We have all offended an eternal, perfect, and righteous God. Without Christ, you cannot enter into this glory of hope. Search your heart and know it to be corrupt. Know that you're in active rebellion against the Creator. But listen, Jesus saves. Jesus saves because he, a perfect, just, and righteous God, became fully man to fulfill the law that we could not. You and I must respond by kneeling before him in repentance and following him. Jesus was punished on the cross so that you would not suffer God's wrath. And then he conquered death and was resurrected so that he could establish his kingdom full of citizens that have eternal life in it. Jesus isn't dead. He's ruling over the nations now. Either you're in rebellion against him and deserve death, or you are marked by his spirit and will live in eternity with him. Come to Jesus. It's out of love that I plead with you like this. To Christians, see the full glory of these verses and marvel that we have been captured from death by a hero. We have been taken for his will to fulfill his plan. Have true hope in what his salvation has accomplished, knowing that we one day will sit at the feet of Jesus. Let that stir in your heart what the Lord has done for you. I know it does me. Repent daily and daily praise the Lord. Continue to live as a servant of his kingdom and walk in righteousness. How do we do this, Christian? How do we respond now that we have the gospel? Well, look down at verse 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggle with all his energy that he 
powerfully works within me. So point number three, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. We, pro- we proclaim the gospel, warning everyone what's to come. You heard what I just said in my last point. I gave the gospel to you, and I warned you of what will happen if someone stays in rebellion to God. We also see in these verses the word everyone, Gentiles and Christians. Because yes, we Christians need to hear the gospel daily. As we need to eat food daily to sustain our bodies daily, we need the gospel to feed our souls. To quote Charles Spurgeon, the most important daily habit we can possess is to remind ourselves of the gospel. This is why the gospel is presented in every sermon you will hear at this church. It is the most important thing. It's, the why, we, it's why we respond by repeating, uh, repenting of our sins and following the creator of all things, knowing with absolute certainty that we belong to Christ. We, pr- we proclaim the gospel to each other. We read of the gospel in the texts, and we warn everyone of what's to come. This was so important to Paul, so important that he mentions here that he toils, struggling with all his energy. This man is sitting in jail and is still teaching people that he could send out. He's writing letters to churches, pleading with them to stay the course. Up until he was arrested, he had been traveling and sailing around the Mediterranean. This was, uh, he had been sa- traveling and sailing around. This man never stopped working. This is a man determined to spread the gospel, even at the cost of personal injury and persecution. Now, we know we can't all be Paul's, but here we have Paul not just setting an example, but telling us what we can do. He writes to a church of people, and he's telling the church what their part in this work should be. That is, what our work should be. The example from Paul and his dedication to the church, his teaching was to live for the Lord and warn people. We need to be a people not just who belong to God, but who work and live for God. Taking Paul's example and giving of ourselves to the church, helping one another, coming alongside one another, teaching and correcting, setting a culture in our church that reflects Jesus. Paul would teach and admonish the church with warning, advice, and uh, with warnings, advice, or urgings. People in action, like Paul says in Romans fifteen seven. Therefore, welcome one another. There's the admonishing. Then he goes on to say, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Here's Paul teaching. Admonish and teach one another. We should use Paul's example of how to interact with each other. Not just teaching or just giving advice or warnings, but giving direction and teaching why that direction is good. It's also important to note here that Paul ends this chapter with the words, that he powerfully works, works within me. See, Paul had dedicated his life to the church, given everything he has of himself. But he takes no glory for himself. He tells us that this energy, this drive, it comes from the Holy Spirit in him. The Lord has worked in the ability, the Lord has worked in him the ability to do this ministry. He gives all glory to God. This is because apart from God, Paul couldn't do this. 
If Paul didn't have the Holy Spirit in him, he could not have done this. Now, one sub-point to this verse. Paul doesn't just say, tell people the gospel or be a seeker-friendly church and just get them in the building. No, he says, we we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So the sub-point it could be continue maturing in Christ or lead, uh, in learning or even continue to walk with Christians as they mature, uh, mature, but simply put, grow in Christ. The idea is we as a body and individually in this church need to keep striving to be more mature in our faith, having wisdom and teaching with wisdom. Our faith must continue to grow, bringing us closer to God in our walk and helping others in theirs. Yes, we have all the God that we need for salvation. But we must strive in the Spirit to be sanctified, to live the example of Jesus, and to outwardly outwardly present ourselves as Christians. These tasks require learning what our faith is and who our God is in all wisdom. And if this sounds scary or daunting, remember, you don't have to do this alone. But the Holy Spirit in you gives it to you. Just as the Spirit changed Paul and gave him the desire to pursue Jesus and work fervently for the body. You don't also have to do this alone because you should be walking alongside other Christians to help and be taught. Christians that also have the Spirit in them. So that's our three points and our sub-point. And that ends this chapter that we've been going through between me, Anthony, Jason. So just a little reminder of some of the things that we've seen. We see in this scripture that we should rejoice in hardship for the Lord. We have the mystery that Christians, we have the mystery that we Christians are one people out of many and preaching the gospel and growing in Christ is what we should be doing. Up to this point, we've seen Paul state his authority in the spread of the gospel. We have seen how much more true love Paul has for the church and how he prays with diligence for it. We know Paul Paul was in prison but continues to minister the word to others. We have seen a need to pray for spiritual wisdom and maturity. We've seen what Christ has done for us, how he has delivered us from darkness and sealed us to his kingdom. In this chapter, we've learned of the preeminence of Christ, the perfect image of the invisible God, the first before all of creation, the one who created all things. We've seen that we were once alienated from God with no hope, but now because of what Christ did on the cross, we are reconciled to God. And we have seen how Paul labored for the church with everything he was and what we as a Christian can take away from that. In everything that Paul wrote in this chapter, he put Christ central to everything and then the church above everything else. The church matters. Being in a church is being a part of the body of Christ. Paul truly understood this. He made it his mission to build up the church and save souls for the glory of God. We must also see this. God must point, be the point, the center 
of all we are. And that certainly is displayed in this church. We must be in church, serving a church, and working to grow in Christ for the glory of God. This was all in just the first chapter of this book, or this letter. One day, hopefully soon, the world will consist of only one church and Christ. So make Christ and the church your priority now. Labor for it. Build it. Let it be the culture of your life. Let's pray. Lord, what a true blessing it is to be able to be up here and preach your word, to worship, worship the one and true God. How much it stirs, should stir our hearts, knowing what you've done for us, despite us. Thank you for this church, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.